Well, this morning, um, for those of you who were about here about a month ago, I looked at Daniel chapter 8, and I had mentioned that I just didn't, wasn't sure there was enough material there to look at or to cover one message, and so I'd actually studied into 10. Turned out it worked perfect. I guess the Holy Spirit knew what was to be, I know he knew what was to be shared that morning, and so it worked out. I did not go into 10 at all. So I plan to look at that and look at it more thoroughly this morning than what I had planned on. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. I appreciated the verse that Terrell read there in Hebrews 10. I believe is goes along well with <clears throat> Daniel chapter 10. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, I don't know how many of you realized, I mentioned early on in my studies that the first six chapters of Daniel covers Daniel's life, different things that happened to him. And the last six chapters are on prophecy. So you may think that you're looking at another message on prophecy this morning, but I realized as I dug into it, there's really not any prophecy here. And so you have to ask the question, why is it here? Why, why isn't this part of the first uh, six chapters of Daniel? I think we'll see why, but also see how it goes along with the dreams and visions that Daniel had received during, throughout his life. So we know Daniel chapter 8 that I looked at last message covered the prophecies prophesied the nations that led up to the time of Christ, the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and Persian Empire, and then also Alexander the Great and even the four kingdoms that came out of his one kingdom after his death. Daniel chapter 9 that I covered a year ago looked at the coming of Christ and uh, the redemption and the Basically, you know, pointing to the restoration of the Jewish people to, to Israel, even though they would later, obviously, after. Daniel 9 also covers the fact of the desecration of the temple and all that. That also was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9. Now, Daniel chapter 10, we're going to read verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel whose name was called Belshazzar, Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and the understanding of the vision. Now the interesting thing is, it sounds like he's about ready to give another prophetic vision. And yet as we go through the chapter here, you're probably going to ask, well, what is the vision? What is what is the prophesying Prophecy being foretold, and I don't believe there actually is one. But there's a lot we can learn here. The interesting thing that as we look at in the beginning of each chapter, um, except maybe chapter 12 of Daniel, each one, right, the beginning of chapter 12 does not, but most of the other chapters from 7 to 12 
start out by mentioning a king or a ruler that was ruling at this time, which is fascinating. It sort of helps you get an idea where each one fell, where each dream and vision fell. And once again, it mentions here in verse 1, that's the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now what's going to be interesting, we're going to, we're going to next time, not necessarily next time I preach, but once, once I wrap up Daniel, the first verse in chapter 11, once again talks about Darius, which was the king when he was prophes- received the prophecy or vision in chapter 9. So these chapters aren't all in chronological order. They're sort of feel like they jump around. And I don't understand why the Holy Spirit gave it to the person who wrote it down this way. But chapter 10 here that we're going to look at, I believe was given to Daniel well after chapter 11 and 12. And so it would have been the last thing that God would have showed him in his life. Does that make a difference in how it, its importance or any of that? I don't think so, but it's just something interesting as we look at it today to think about that as those other prophecies were given when he was younger, this was towards the very tail end of his life. Another thing, if you look into uh, history, like written down secular history, they don't believe in King Darius. Something I just learned as I was doing research for this. They say they can't find him. And if you go to timelines, historical timelines, unless it's written by someone who also believes that the Bible is inspired word of God, he's not there. But if you go to Daniel chapter five or six there where it talks about when Belshazzar fell, it says right in that chapter that the next king was Darius. But anyway, after Darius then would have been King Cyrus that we have here in chapter 10. Is that a big deal that there's a missing piece of history that the secular world doesn't know about? I don't believe it is. I, I, to me, it reminded me of a, an argument that I read about um, in Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, an argument between Abil Qureshi and David Wood that they were arguing about the historical accuracy of Jesus, Muhammad, and they also used an example of Alexander the Great there. And the reason the argument came up was that critics often say that the Gospels aren't accurate. And one of the reasons they're not accurate was they were not written down when they took place. Um, Most people believe that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were actually written down a number of years later, maybe even a couple, some of them even up to a couple of decades later after Jesus' death and resurrection. And they say, well, It could be all made up then. It wasn't written down right when it happened. But the same is true when it comes to Alexander the Great, when it comes to Muhammad. A lot of the history written down about those men, and we all typically believe what's written down, 
most of it. We're written down 100, 200 years later. So the fact that we have a missing king in the historical timeline, secular historical timeline, does not make me doubt that there was a King Darius. Because I believe Daniel was a believer, inspired of God, and knew what he was talking about because he served under him. Now moving on. So Daniel chapter 10, verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Why was Daniel mourning? So at this time, where was the children of Israel? What was the history? What was going on there? And this is what a lot of people believe was why Daniel was mourning is that the first wave of exiles had returned to Jerusalem with Ezra. So was he mourning for the fact that so many Jews had not returned with Ezra? There were many Jews who had become too comfortable with their life in exile and did not want to return. So was he mourning because of that? Also, the ones who had returned were facing a lot of difficulty. And we read that in other books in the Old Testament about the difficulty in trying to rebuild the wall, the protected Jerusalem, to try to reestablish themselves. Even though they weren't trying to reestablish themselves as a nation at this point, they were simply just trying to be a place in Jerusalem there where the people were protected and could flourish. It's believed that around this time, when this chapter 10 here in Daniel, is he would have been in his 80s, he was too old to return to Israel, to Jerusalem himself. So it's also possible that he was weeping for the fact that he would never see Jerusalem. But it doesn't say why. So we're going to go on here. Verse 4. And in the 4 and 20th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold, of Uphaz, and his body was like the barrel, and his face was the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like a color to polish brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, and my face towards the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, and set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. What does this story here what happened to Daniel? What does it remind you of happening elsewhere in the Bible? And if you're not sure, you can make, take a guess at it. Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Turn with me, Acts chapter 9. 
Acts chapter 9, we're going to pick up at verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to prick against the pricks, to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. It's not identical, but it sounds very similar. I guess I never really thought about it before studying chapter 10 here. I guess I assumed, like all the other encounters that Daniel had, was that it was an angel. And in some of the other chapters, it does talk about Gabriel. And as we look at chapters 11 and 12 later, it'll talk about Michael. doesn't say the archangel, but that's, that's what it appears like. But here is a very, I say, different type of vision, a dream that he received. I don't think it was a dream, a vision that he received here. And I believe that he was actually in the presence of Jesus. Why did, why did that matter? Or why does that matter? Well, it does change the, the, the meaning of the, the, what we, as we go through chapter 10 here. Was it just an angel, a high up angel? Or was it actually Jesus that Daniel was receiving this vision from? I believe it was Jesus. We'll go on then in verse 11 of Daniel, um, <clears throat> Daniel chapter 10. Actually, before I go read that, I want to just say too that in the sense of whether it was an angel or whether it was Jesus, I believe that in scriptures we look through there, we'll see that only believers can see Jesus, can look on him in his glorified body, that that's why the men around Daniel could not withstand it, had to, were, were driven off by the, the, the what was happening there. In the story of Saul, was he a believer yet? I believe that was the moment when he became a believer, but it also says that he was blinded. And we don't see that here with Daniel. Also, when angels appeared to men and women in the Bible, they were often fearful because it was something strange and they knew that something unique was going on. You think of the angels that appeared to the shepherds, the angel that appeared to Mary and to Joseph separately. But yet the response was not the same as what we see with Saul and Acts or here with Daniel. So it's just something to think about as we go through here. Daniel chapter 10, verse 11. And he, said unto me, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst sent thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. And I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. 
But lo, oh my, lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And we had spoken such words unto me, I set my face towards the ground, and I became dumb. And behold, one, like the symbol to the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision of my by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for, for as for me, straightway there remaineth no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. Then there then there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said. O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. It's it's interesting here as whoever this is that is talking with Daniel, he, he says that he's going to tell Daniel what's going to happen even though we'll not see that at all here in this chapter. But yet he shows Daniel something that's very interesting, showing the spiritual battle that's happening in the heavens and in the, in the, above the earth that Daniel, up to this point, wasn't necessarily aware of. And yet it's interesting, the same amount of time that we see in the beginning of the chapter that Daniel fasted and prayed, was the same length of the spiritual battle going on between what I believe is Jesus and a demon that controlled, had spiritual control over Persia. And yet it appears that because of Daniel's fasting and praying, this battle was won. This battle was, at least for a time, contained. And I believe just as we saw in our Sunday school lesson this morning that going into the time of temptation with the devil, Jesus fasted and prayed. That is very important for us when we're dealing with spiritual battles, even sometimes spiritual or physical battles that may not seem spiritual. That is where we're going to make a difference. Does God need our fasting and prayer? In a, in a sense, he's all-powerful. He doesn't need it. But just as we see here in chapter 10 of Daniel, I believe he desires it. And there are battles won in the spiritual realm because of what believers are doing in the physical realm. We also, I mentioned the archangel Michael is going to be mentioned in chapters chapter 11, but it is mentioned here. I'd forgotten about that. It's also mentioned here that he was coming to help. So whether this was Jesus or just another angel, it does not say for sure as it does in Acts chapter 9 with Paul or with Saul. But I don't know how many of you have ever read Frank Peretti or Randy Alcorn books. This just reminded me of that. And I don't necessarily agree with everything those authors say but I think those authors do 
write stories that help us remind us of the spiritual battle that's often taken place that we're not even aware of. It's easy for us to just focus solely on the physical things that we can see around us. We see the governments fighting each other politically. We see actual wars taking place. And even if we believe that God is in control of all of what happens, only what happens is what he allows, I think it would help us have more peace if we believed that there is spiritual battles being fought that are invisible to us, and God is in control of that. He's fighting those battles or sending people to fight those battles. And just when it seems like things are hopeless, discouraging, he's still there. He's still fighting. And that's what I want us to take away from this message this morning. The last three years in, in um, with dealing with COVID, there are people that have spiritualized it to the last detail. I don't do that. But whether COVID was planned by Satan or by man, Satan used it to damage the church, to discourage people, to try to turn good people against each other. And so I believe there was a spiritual battle being fought. What, No matter who, what started it, how it started, there was a spiritual battle involved there. The war in Russia and Ukraine right now, even though it may look like it's only physical, you know, this government's helping out this, this side and, and this is affecting this physically and it affects our oil prices. And it's easy just to focus on the physical things of that conflict. And yet I believe just as Daniel was allowed to, to understand about his time, there are spiritual battles being fought that we can't see in relation to that war. And it's true, I believe, in many, many areas around the world. As I say all that, that we need to understand that part of it. We also, there's the other ditch that people fall into where every ailment they have, every discouragement they have, they try to say is a, is a, is a demon. And I don't believe that is true. When someone gets sick, we don't aren't called to go and cast a demon out of them, a demon of unhealthiness or the demon of cancer, a demon of whatever. That's taking that too far. But at the same time, we need to understand as we go through our daily lives, we have struggles, sickness, depression, that there are spiritual battles that we often don't even know that are going on that God is fighting for us. Moving on then, verse 14 um, says that he's going to tell Daniel what's going to happen with the Jewish people. It's interesting, even though Daniel doesn't become blind like Saul did, he did become dumb for a time. And I don't know exactly why, but it just reminded me again of another story in the Bible where you have Zacharias, the 
father of John the Baptist, for a time was dumb. After future knowledge was revealed to him, it was as if God did not want him revealing that until it was time. And so here with Daniel, he became dumb. Once again, as I looked at earlier, uh, verse 18 there talks about one like the appearance of a man and different times in scripture where that phrase is used or that idea is used. We see that referring to a where Jesus appeared to people not during the time of when he was here on earth 2,000 years ago. Moving on then, <clears throat> try to get wrapped up here in time. Daniel 10, verse 19. I think I already read that. Let's go into 20. Then he said, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. Referring back to that prophecy that we saw in Daniel chapter 8. That once Persia was defeated, the next um, nation that would rule over Israel, rule over the Middle East, would be Greece. But I will show thee what is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. It's just fascinating that each nation that was had control over, Israel, over the nation of Israel, there was spiritual battles going on in heaven. And even though it looked hopeless to the average believer, to the average Jewish person, at that time, and yet God revealed to Daniel that he was still in control. He was still working towards the redemption of Israel, and I just believe that it can give us so much hope. Even the things that I mentioned that we're going through today that can, that can be discouraging and make us want to give up. Do we understand that God is not done? He's still fighting. We also need to understand that there's no earthly kingdom that will ever have permanent control over the nation of Israel or over Christian believers. Yes, Christian believers may grow up in a totally um, it's an ungodly nation, a, a country that they have no freedom to worship, but yet in the end, all believers will have the victory through Jesus Christ. Eventually, Jesus will have the victory. Another thing I thought of as I was going through here, I don't know what Daniel saw. I'm sure he saw what we see today, that it may make us hopeless when we look at all the political corruption. Every nation on earth struggles with it. And I think they'll always be that way until the Christ returns with the church to rule for the millennia. I'm pretty sure Daniel saw that corruption in his time. I'm sure it made him want to give up. made him want to despair. 
But yet what was revealed to him here was that it was revealed to him to give him hope and strength and confidence to keep living for God. I'd like to read just the last few things. Uh, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. It feels like the reason, yeah, the reason this was given was to help Daniel understand a spiritual battle that was going on. And I feel like it reminded me of 2 Kings chapter 6, a common story we know. Chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such a such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled with this thing, and he called his servants, and he said to them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, no, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. So we see here, this king said there has to be a spy. And there's times, I think, in the world where God gives people knowledge of things that they shouldn't know because of the spiritual battle that's going on. And he, and he said, go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? There was a physical army surrounding the city. It looked completely hopeless. If they wanted to, they could have probably killed every person in that city. And he answered him, and he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. And he saw, and behold, the mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And we see here that the, the, the armies of God outnumbered the physical armies, even though they seemed great. Another verse, Romans 8.31 what shall we then say to these things? If God be with us, who can be against us? And in closing, I want to turn to Psalms 118. Psalms 118, I want to read the first nine verses. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. 
what can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And the one, the verse I want to leave with you most there is verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. And I believe that's was the purpose of the vision that God gave to Daniel. Thank you for your attention. The Lord bless you.